This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security for February 4th, 2021. Important security updates for Mac systems. Face ID with mask unlock should be coming soon. And Facebook and Google make privacy changes after Apple privacy pushes. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing all right. How are you, Kirk? I'm well. I don't remember. You have an iPhone with Face ID, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have an, uh, an iPhone XS. An iPhone XS, right. So did you see that the next version of iOS is going to include a very useful feature? Um, you can't use Face ID to unlock your iPhone if you're wearing a mask. And they're introducing a feature, it's in the latest beta of iOS, that if you're wearing an Apple Watch that's unlocked, that's linked to your iPhone, your iPhone will recognize that you've gotten a mask, will check with the Apple Watch to verify that you're logged in, and it'll unlock the phone. Yeah, so what's kind of interesting about this, and and again, this is just in the beta, so it is possible that maybe Apple might decide not to move forward with this, although with all the excitement in the in the press uh, the apple press about this over the last day or oh, so. even the mainstream press has been talking about this really yeah um yeah i mean really this is a feature that i think people have been wanting ever since uh the pandemic started you know people are in public and they need to unlock their phone and it's kind of difficult to do that if you've got a mask uh, unless you're using a pin, you know, a, a numerical pin, which, of course, we don't recommend because that makes it pretty easy for someone to break into your device. So what's interesting is from the reports I've gotten from people who are using the beta, I won't put beta on beta software on my iPhone. I'll do it on an iPad, but my iPhone is too important. You won't be able to use this feature to pay with Apple Pay, but of course you can do that with your Apple Watch, right? If This, this feature only works if you've got a paired Apple Watch. Um, you won't be able to use it to unlock any third-party apps. My banking app requires an additional login on my phone and uses Face ID. So... If I have a mask on, I can unlock my phone, but I can't do anything else without putting in a passcode. Yeah, this was kind of interesting to me. And we were discussing this and trying to figure out um, the the answer to this. And it took some some digging to find somebody who had tried this out and uh, and experimented with it. Now, in the settings app, when you enable this feature, this face ID um, mask unlock feature, it specifically does indicate that it's for unlocking the phone, meaning when you lift the phone and you look at your phone to be able to get into your phone. Um, it doesn't imply that it will work in other face ID contexts. And it turns out that it doesn't, at least in this iteration of it. And maybe Apple will change that, although I kind of think that uh, because some of the types of apps are things like, as you mentioned, banking apps, and there would also be uh, password managers and other things like that, that um, you want to make sure that you've got really good security for those things. Um, now, there is an argument that could be made that, well, maybe you don't want to use this feature at all, then, the, the Face ID with mask unlock, because... 
if you can get into your phone, there's a lot of other things that you can do. As we've mentioned before, you can get into a whole bunch of different services by sending yourself a password reset link, right? Just say, I forgot my password. You go to the website on the phone. Uh, you say, I forgot my password. They'll email you a link. Nice and convenient, right? Well, if you've got your mail app set up, um, then once you're logged in to your phone with Face ID, now you can hit that password reset link. So this could be exploited using the evil bus passenger method. Imagine that you've got your phone in your pocket and someone is standing next to you on the bus and they take your phone. They've got a mask on. They swipe to unlock it. Since the watch is close enough, it could unlock. Um, so at that point, someone could get access to your email account. But you do want the extra protection. The Face ID also can't authenticate um, for passwords using the iCloud keychain. You mentioned a password manager, but it's the same with the iCloud keychain. So while someone can access your email and your messages and other things, they can't go very far. Well, I, I don't know that anyone's done a lot of experimentation with this, but in, in the scenario where somebody, you know, takes your phone from you, they hold it up to their face while they're wearing a mask. I don't know um, whether that would work to unlock it unless they had a very similar, you know, facial features in terms of like uh, their eyes and eyebrows shape and, and nose bridge and things like that. Um, theoretically, right, we're assuming that face ID is still looking at the, the face and the mask right. and, and removing everything that's hidden by the mask, but still using the shape and the distance and the, the symmetry of the eyes to get like a partial authentication. Right. There's not a lot of details about this yet. Um, uh, you know, the beta has just come out within the past couple of days, but um, it's uh, it, presumably, yeah, Apple is probably still looking at the part of the, your face that it can see and then coupling that with um, the fact that you have an unlocked watch on. Um, so, uh, you know, th this, it's kind of shifting, you know, when it comes to, to multi-factor authentication, when we talk about this sometimes that, um, you don't really have multi-factor authentication to get into an iOS or iPad OS device. You've got one factor or another factor. So you can either use face ID or touch ID on an older device, or you can type in your pin or passcode. Um, but that's only one factor. It's not Face ID plus uh, typing in a passcode. And this is kind of shifting that. So instead of just relying on either Face ID or your passcode, this is shifting it to kind of partial Face ID, face recognition to some degree, plus something that you, which is something that you are, that's biometrics, right? And then plus something that you have, um, which is your watch that you're wearing and kind of sort of something that you know too because you had to put in a code to unlock your watch. Specifically, they do say in the settings that this feature will not work unless you have a passcode to unlock your watch. Right, but don't forget you can unlock the watch without a passcode if you've got the settings set that when you authenticate for your phone, it unlocks the watch automatically. Right, this is kind of one of those funny circular things. and, and It is. Uh, 
And I, I think, uh, Kirk, you've mentioned this before that um, the idea of, you know, maybe there are certain contexts where you don't necessarily want your watch to be able to unlock something. And, and yeah. I think I think early on in the pandemic, when we were talking about this whole wearing a mask while trying to use face ID thing, um, that was, I think, a concern that you brought up back then was, well, I don't want to just assume that my watch should be able to unlock my phone like I can unlock a Mac that I walk up to, right? Because um, there are some important differences in that interaction between those devices because you can use Face ID to unlock your watch. You don't have to necessarily put in a pin on your watch. Right. Um, so it is kind of, it's a little bit odd, but I guess that Apple figures that, first of all, this so far seems to be an opt-in feature. So you have to choose to enable this. Sure. Um, and so I guess Apple is giving you the opportunity to have a little more convenience for maybe a little less security. Um, but when it comes to security in general, I, I think that this isn't really a terrible thing. I'm probably going to enable this feature and use this because of the convenience of it. And it, the, the unlikelihood that somebody else is going to grab my watch, know my pin, you know, be able to put it on and, and all those kind of things, or somehow unlock my phone while I'm not wearing a mask. And then, you know, like the scenarios are just not terribly likely. And it's always a balance between security and convenience. For a long time, we got by using the same password on every service until we realized how dangerous it is. Now we use random passwords. They're protected either by your Apple ID, so if you're using iCloud Keychain, or by a password manager where you've got a single password that's got to be strong enough, but not too strong that you forget it. And so, yeah, that's the balance that we have here is never going to be simple until we figure out some better biometric method to replace passwords. Security update. Last week, we talked about the security updates for every operating system other than macOS. And this week, we had the macOS update on Monday. Yeah, which was kind of interesting um, that they released the update on Monday. So the context behind this, and we mentioned last week that Apple had released a release candidate for macOS 11.2, which is the latest version of Big Sur. And um, on Thursday, after we recorded, they had uh, an, another release candidate that came out with, release candidate three. So they were still kind of working through some bugs, it sounds like, and hadn't quite been ready to release it at the same time as the others. Now, um, why exactly Apple chose to release iOS first? Um, and the others, because remember, they updated tvOS too, which very likely was not one of the things being targeted by this exploit, right? And HomePod OS. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So why did Apple choose to release those updates at the same time and also um, disclose very basic details about some of these things that were being exploited in the wild? Um, we don't know exactly. I would presume that probably the reports that Apple had gotten probably indicated that these were attacks against someone using an iPhone, most likely. So although the the same bugs applied to macOS, they probably hadn't been used in that context to Apple's knowledge. That's my guess. Now, um, what we do know is that when Apple released the macOS 11.2 update on Monday, they... Uh, updated their reports on what bugs were fixed in uh, iOS and the other operating systems that had been patched last week. 
um, we now know that it wasn't just three vulnerabilities that were um, fixed in iOS and iPadOS. Um, there were uh, as many as 47 vulnerabilities now that they have listed and enumerated in that document that describes the security contents of that update. And for macOS, there are 66 updates, including those three that were fixed in iOS. Um, so this is and for uh, macOS it goes back to Mojave. So Mojave, Catalina, and Big Sur are all getting updates. Not each operating system doesn't get all the same updates. Right, right. As we've mentioned before, Apple tends to fix everything for the current operating system, and they fix some things for previous operating systems. If you look through the list and you if you search by Catalina or Mojave, you'll see that. Um, you know, the, the majority of these updates are for Big Sur, a smaller number for Catalina and an even smaller number for Mojave. And, and some of that may just be because, uh, maybe some of these things are in newer components that don't exist in older versions of the operating system, or maybe can't be exploited as easily. Um, but most of the time, uh, it seems like some of these vulnerabilities probably do exist in older versions, but Apple doesn't feel the need to necessarily release updates and go and backport all these things to uh, all the previous operating systems. Notably, there are some updates in here that do not uh, apply to Big Sur and only apply to earlier versions of macOS, which we do see from time to time as well. So um, regardless of what operating system you're using, of course, we do recommend that to, if you can update to Big Sur, that you should, um, because you do get a lot more security advantages by being on the latest version of macOS. But regardless of what macOS version you're running, we do recommend that you install this update as soon as possible. And if you still haven't updated iOS or iPadOS or the other operating systems, it's definitely good idea to do that as soon as you can. Okay, let's take a break. When we come back, we'll talk about a pseudo bug, some privacy nutrition label issues with Apple, Facebook, and Google. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users since 1997, and our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected in 2021. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection, Net Barrier, powerful inbound and outbound firewall security, personal backup to keep your important files safe from ransomware, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Big Sur and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intego Mac Podcast listeners. Intego world-class protection and utility software for Mac users made by the Mac security experts. I say pseudo. What do you say, Josh? Um, I, I used to say pseudo. I try to say sudo. So sudo or sudo, S-U-D-O, is a command that you can run in terminal uh, on any Unix uh, operating system, Mac OS, Linux, etc. It means super user do. So when you preface command with sudo, it, it is basically authenticating for additional powers that allow you to 
you know, do great things. And there's a bug that's affecting Linux distributions. We don't know if it's affecting the Mac yet. Right. And by the way, the, uh, most people that I know say sudo, but officially the pronunciation is sudo, which is why I try yeah. to say it that way. So sudo, the, the idea behind this is that um, if you need to run a command as root or as a higher level user, um, this gives you a way to do that from the, from the terminal, from the command line. Um, and so this has been a part of Unix-based operating systems for a very long time. Mac OS is a Unix-based operating system. Um, it's built upon um, the BSD Berkeley Systems Distribution Foundation, um, which is a Unix-like operating system, just like Linux is. Um, and of course, there's lots and lots of variations of Linux. And all of the big Linux versions um, apparently are vulnerable to this sudo bug. Um, which has been around for 10 years and was only just recently discovered. Um, so does this affect Mac OS? That's really not entirely clear at this point because there's not enough details. Uh, the company that uh, wrote a big blog post about this, Qualys, did not really give enough details or exploit code so that people can check it out. They, they give you a command that you can run on Linux distributions to determine whether your system is vulnerable. However, the command that they give to run is for an app called sudo edit, which doesn't exist on the Mac. So that doesn't necessarily mean that Macs are not vulnerable. It just means that the way that you can test it doesn't exist on the Mac. So it's a little bit unclear. Now, Apple did not patch this, at, you know, looking through that list of 66 uh, security vulnerabilities that were fixed in Mac OS with the recent updates. Um, Apple did not patch anything related to sudo. Um, so it kind of remains to be seen whether this is something that Apple needs to fix or whether they will fix it. Just a quick update. We learned after recording that it turns out that the sudo vulnerability does affect Mac OS, and it is possible to exploit this on both the recently patched version of Big Sur 11.2, as well as on the first beta of Mac OS 11.3. Although there is a patch available from the maintainer of the sudo project, it's different from whatever fix Apple may eventually come out with. And it also doesn't immediately work as soon as you install the package. You have to go through a, a, another complicated process in order to make that patch work. So at this point, I would recommend that you just wait for Apple to release a patch. Presumably, Apple will release a patch sometime relatively soon to fix this vulnerability since it is known to the public. Um, there was an article last week in the Washington Post, which sort of piqued my interest, as we say. Uh, it's entitled, I checked Apple's new privacy nutrition labels. Many were false. Apple's plan to make iPhone apps be transparent about the data they take falls short of being helpful or even accurate. Now, we talked about, I'll link in the show notes to the episode where we talked about these nutrition labels. I don't like the term nutrition label, but the idea is that they're clear and easy to understand, like nutrition labels in the U.S. Um, and I said at the time... This is going to be self-reported data. If Apple doesn't check, then developers can say anything. And so this person downloaded a bunch of apps. He ran them through some tools that captured data to see what sort of data was being sent. And lots of apps were really a mess. And some of these were games and some of them were social networking. And I don't think it really matters what types of apps they are because a lot of various apps have frameworks they put in the apps to 
uh, access advertising networks. So if you remember, was it a year ago or so, a whole bunch of apps died one day because the Facebook advertising framework um, had a problem and wasn't and was blocking the apps. So it's a similar thing. These app developers may not necessarily have been intentionally deceptive, but they are deceptive. And if Apple doesn't crack down on them, there's absolutely no reason to have these privacy labels. Right. Yeah. This is something that um, shouldn't come as a big surprise because again, when, when you're talking about self-reported data, um, you know, there are obviously there are certain things that Apple could be doing to automate this check, you know, to, if somebody claims we're not collecting any data, and uh, Apple runs, you know, tools um, in an automated fashion, similar to what this uh, Washington Post writer did, then you would be able to automatically check um, whether these apps are, for example, phoning home to Facebook or other companies uh, or, or advertising networks that may be collecting your data. So it, I don't know that the app authors are necessarily in every case being disingenuous i mean they may mean we as a company you know i don't collect information from my users um however you know facebook might uh and we just happen to be using their their framework um they may not necessarily understand all the implications of using third party uh frameworks advertising networks and things like that and and they may be trying to answer on behalf of their company and say, well, my company doesn't collect data. So therefore, I can say data not collected, which, you know, is the highest level of satisfaction, you know, from the App Store. But clearly, that's not the intent. That's not what Apple wants you to do with your privacy labels. It's just like, again, uh, you know, comparing it to nutrition labels, you you have to disclose if something is in there. Um, and they're not really doing that effectively, it seems like, with, with some apps. So going further, uh, we'll link to an article in The Verge. Facebook prompt will encourage ad tracking opt-in ahead of Apple's privacy push. So uh, we've been talking about this in the past month or two. Facebook even took out a full-page ad in the New York Times complaining about Apple as if they thought that this <laughs> would convince people that Facebook was good and Apple was bad. So this is an article from February 1st that it said Facebook will start showing the prompt globally today prior to Apple's early spring update. Now, I don't use the Facebook app on my iPhone. I do use Facebook a bit, but I use my web browser. Um, I downloaded and installed the app and I did not see the prompt. So that was the first and we're recording on the third. Uh, Essentially, they want to get people now to allow ad tracking before this new feature comes in. And they're basically telling you you'll get better ads if you do this, which, as as Josh mentioned to me before the show, this is true because they'll know a little bit more about you. But they're telling you you're going to get better ads. They're not telling you that they're going to be sucking up all the data about you to create a more detailed profile. Right. Yeah, there's a little bit of kind of reading in between the lines or reading the fine print that you need to do to really understand that. Um, and and this is, uh, you know, typically the thing that you see with ad networks when they're trying to convince you. And it's it's kind of the same thing, you know, in, in California, we have a law that went into effect uh, January of last year. Basically, it says that if you run a website that that uh, is available in California, you need to, um, you know, specify some some things that you're doing related to their private information and also allow them to be able to opt out. It's a little bit so similar to So this is to like GDPR. GDPR in a way, right? 
Yeah, exactly. It's a little bit similar to, to GDPR. Um, maybe not quite to the same degree, it, but, but it has some similar ideas um, behind it. And so essentially, um, a lot of websites that, that I go to, I'm seeing prompts that say, hey, our website uses cookies, and we use them for all these purposes. And um, you should enable the you leave these cookies enabled, or you should enable them. Um, and, you know, it, it basically just gives you obnoxious prompts, right? But if you actually read the details, they will usually tell you things like we um, are trying to give you contextualized ads. And um, so Facebook is kind of doing the same thing. They're like, hey, if you want your advertisements to be relevant, if you don't want to see advertisements for Hello Kitty and, you know, you have zero interest in Hello Kitty, <laughs> you know, um, then we recommend that you leave this feature on because we want to be able to serve you things that are relevant to you. It sounds good, right? So the wording is interesting. The Facebook prompt says, uh, allow Facebook to use your app and website activity, get ads that are more personalized, support businesses that rely on ads to reach customers. And then you get an Apple pop-up that says, Facebook would like permission to track you across apps and websites owned by other companies. And then it does say this allows Facebook to provide you with a better ad experience. Ask app not to track, allow tracking. So Facebook getting all warm and fuzzy, you know, it'll be better for you and for small businesses. Apple's like, dude, they're tracking you everywhere on apps and websites. Right. It's it's a little bit funny to see these these dialogue boxes back to back. You get you get Facebook's prompt first and they're like, "Look how great this is." And then as soon as you hit allow on Facebook's, you know, prompt, then you get the scary Apple dialogue that, you know, blocks everything else out on the screen and you must pick to either allow the app to track you or not. And so <laughs> it's it's kind of funny watching these companies sort of battle each other out, you know, right right on your phone. You know, I, I think at this point, this is it's a good thing that Apple is is making these changes to the operating system. I, and obviously, Facebook doesn't like this because Facebook makes money from ads. I mean, it's the same thing with Google, too. But they make money from tracking us. It's not the same as ads. But Google, now Google's taking a different tack. Um, 9 to 5 Google, about a week ago, says Google Apps will stop using tracking ID that would require upcoming iOS 14 permission prompt. So rather than display that dialogue that we just talked about, Google is going to not use the advertising ID, but they've probably got other ways to track people, don't they? Well, yeah, of course. It's Google, right? I mean, Facebook and, and Google are all about tracking and advertising. Those are the, the two ways that they really make money. Um, and of course, I mean, th there are other ways that they make money too, but those are really big chunks of where their revenue comes from. So yes, obviously Google can track you in any number of other ways. Um, so is, they, they don't necessarily need to do it a particular way. They have a lot of other ways that they can track you to. What's interesting is that Google has not updated its iOS apps in more than a month. I think it was 
before Christmas were the last updates. Uh, if you look on the iOS App Store today, the 3rd of uh, February, some say updated a month ago, some say updated two months ago. They don't put precise dates when you're just glancing at the what's new version history. What surprised me is that Google Chrome hasn't been updated for two months, and we know how important it is to have security updates for web browsers. Right. And I think the reason for this is that um, most browsers on iOS and iPadOS are using the WebKit framework. They're using the same rendering engine that Safari is using on the mobile platforms. Um, so this is different, uh, of course. We, as we mentioned recently, this um, is different from what we see on the desktop, where uh, Chrome's got its own engine and all the Chrome-based browsers are using that engine, their own you know versions of them. And uh, Safari has a separate engine. Firefox has a separate engine. Um, on iOS, generally, all browsers are, are going to be using the WebKit framework um, because that's the way that Apple wants browsers to work on iOS. But this isn't just browsers. This is all of Google's apps. Um, I mentioned Chrome, but everything else, Google Docs, Google Drive, hasn't been updated. And this is apparently because Google doesn't want to have to put this privacy information out yet. I think maybe they're trying to decide what they can get away with uh, because the the privacy information thing, what did it start? The 1st of January. So developers only have to provide that information on the next update after that date, which is why when we talked about this, we pointed out that lots of apps in the App Store show that the developer hasn't given any information and that the developer would be required to for the next update. That's right. Actually, so there, there is one app that I know of that Google did update, and that's Google Translate. Um, they updated that around the end of January. Um, but it, it's probably because they're not really doing as much to track you in that app. Um, that's that's my guess. Uh, and so they didn't have as much to think about on how they're going to um, treat that. But if you go to um, other Google apps in, in the App Store right now, and you go to that app privacy section, it'll tell you no details provided, which with a big, you know, um, uh, exclamation point inside a triangle, you know, a warning. Warning, uh, yeah. Yeah. No details provided. The developer will be required to provide privacy details when they submit their next app update. So Google Translate does say data linked to you, location, user content, identifiers, diagnostics, contact info, search history, usage data, and other data. That's for Google Translate. So they have filled out the information. Presumably, maybe the reason that Google's been hesitant is that they're trying to change something in some of the other apps to make it not look as bad. Because um, as we discussed, again, link in the show notes to the episode where we discussed these privacy labels, um, the Facebook one pretty much covers every single category that could possibly be declared. Right. <laughs> Which is not terribly surprising, but obviously that looks really bad to Facebook. And so they're like, hey, that's not fair. Apple made these privacy labels specifically to target us and to, tar you know, they're coming after us. They're coming after our business model. And that's not fair. They're singling us out. Okay, one last brief mention before we go. Um, Apple released a version of iCloud for Windows that supports the iCloud Passwords Chrome extension. So if you use the iCloud keychain on some of your devices and you use Windows and you use Chrome, there's an extension so you can access these passwords. Um, they pulled it after they released it, but apparently it's available again. I'll link to an article on Mac Rumors that talks about this. If you're a Windows user and you use iCloud keychain, this is something you should know. Okay, that's enough for this week. Until next week, Josh, stay secure. All right, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast. 
the voice of Mac Security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe in Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you'd be so kind, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com.